about Sunday, though a church should not forsake meeting together. Church is not about one person or personality, though every church should be pastored. And church is not about size or growth, though every church is called to make disciples. So don't think of church as an address or a location, but rather think of church as mobile and on the move. Don't think of church as something built or planted, but rather think of church as something deployed. Don't think of church as where you are for an hour each week, but rather what you are every day of the week, because the church is the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. Feet shouldn't sit still. Hands shouldn't be idle. Feet go. Hands do. This is the church. Church isn't what you're sitting through right now, because you are the church. Now go and be the church. Good morning. That's what we're going to be looking at over the next several weeks together. We're going to be looking biblically, what is the church? We're going to be doing a little bit of historical study, but mainly, you know, the church has become so many different things to so many people throughout, not just our country, but the world. And mainly what we want to do is sort of get back to the roots. For example, if you never had any idea what church was, you hadn't had a church background or visited any churches, if there was never any people that you knew of that went to church or were part of a church, if you had no idea absolutely what it was, you never even heard the word, and you opened up the Bible and used that alone to discover what this thing, this body called the church really was, what would it actually look like? How would it differ from what we see and sometimes experience in the church life today? That's really what we want to do. Churches become very confusing There are large churches and small churches. There are contemporary churches and traditional churches. There are missional churches. There are purpose-driven churches. There are all kinds. There's a church for just about every topic and subject known to man. And I'm greatly concerned that the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, if we're not careful, is becoming hijacked by the agenda and the ways of man. And so what we want to do is get back to the original purpose. And this morning we're going to introduce that study by looking at the very origin in the church. And you might think initially, well, the origin of the church, that's going to be found in the New Testament because the church is a New Testament entity. But actually, the origin in the church is found all the way back in Bereshith. Bereshith, that's Genesis, the very beginning. In the beginning, what was God doing? And so we want to look first at the church origin all the way back in Genesis chapter 1. And we're going to look at the origin today, and then we're going to go all the way to Matthew 16 where Jesus said he's going to build the church. Giving you a preview I'm giving you the cheat notes right up front so you know where we're going. You can keep me accountable. And then we're going to look at the difference between two very critical pictures that we might see. The man-made church, the man-built church, and the Jesus-built church. And we're going to identify some of the major differences before we look at the birth of the church actually next week. So Genesis chapter 1, I've given you that time to get there. Verse 3. The church, back in its origin, in the very beginning, we're going to see God's purposes unfold. And let's look at the pattern they established for the creation of the church. Genesis chapter 1, very creation, in verse 3, Then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. In verse 3 of chapter Genesis, in, in, in chapter 1 of Genesis, God brings, creates light. And this is very significant, very important, because if you'll notice, and we're not going to get too deep in this, but just to build some foundation for what we're looking at today. If you'll notice, in verse 3, God creates light, 
before chapter 1, verses 13, 14, 15, and 16, when he gets into actually creating the stars and the sun and the moon and those things that govern light. Now, there was no, at this point, electricity, right? So we don't think of light in terms of the light switch. The only light at creation was what God created. And he created light, the concept of light, the establishment of light, before he actually created the sun, moon, and the stars and those bodies that would help govern light and darkness. So this light, as it's first created, is literally the illumination of God. It's when God forms the world, the earth, to create something, he creates an illumination so that whatever is going on will be seen, so that whatever he creates will be established, experienced. He wants to manifest something as he creates on creation the world, the planet. There's a stage being set. It's very significant, very important. It's the glory of God. God says, this is what I'm going to show. Anything God illuminates, anything God brings into existence out of darkness is glorious and good. Amen. Anything God brings into existence, brings out of darkness and into light, is glorious and good. And that's what we see here. He brings to light the ability to comprehend, the ability to to have physical experience. You see, he's setting the stage to reveal something in, in such a way that it can be tangible, manifested, touchable, physical, to show who he is. The unseeable God begins to create something to reveal himself so he can be seen. Genesis 1-3. Then we move to Genesis 1-26, the next significant event in creation when God creates man. Chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. So God, in the midst of this physical platform, this creation that he now illuminates so that what he wants to be seen can, can be realized, can be perceived and understood. Now he places man at the center stage. And we know man is central at this creation because he says several times, doesn't he, that he's going to create man in his own image. It's the only part of creation that he says, now this is the specific part that I'm going to put front and center stage that's going to reflect my glory, that will be made in my image, so that the ways and the heart of God can be realized so that as man lives, something tangibly, experientially, physically in the existence of mankind can be observed so that creation can see the glory of God. You see, creation is all about God revealing himself. And and he starts with this concept of illumination, and then in illumination he focuses on, on man because man will be the direct representation of his glory. Man will be the part of creation, the living part of creation, that God relies upon. You can't miss this because this is critical, essential, when it comes to the origin of the church. Man is to be the one that God shows himself in and through, created in his image, according to his likeness. And then with this special responsibility of of having dominion, there's that concept of of sort of ruling under 
and there's, there's an intimate partnership that we see develop between God and man as man exists in a special place having dominion over the rest of creation. Are you all with me so far? So that's where we are so far. But I just want to take, just pause for a minute. There's three foundational principles that I think we should carry through in our study of the church that we learn right here. The first one is this. When God creates something, he's not created to do your own thing. God did not create any part of creation for creation. He didn't just put, us, put creation in motion, set us off on our own and say, okay, now you guys figure it out, you do it. You develop your own plan, and I'll sit back and watch and enjoy it. That wasn't the purpose, was it? God had a plan, specifically. The very fact that he created the light shows that he had a plan. And then the very fact that he created man specifically in his own image, according to his own likeness, with a very specific, intimate place and connection and partnership with him, shows that he had a specific plan and purpose. Number two, you're not created to experience, you are created to experience God personally. You're not created to do your own thing. You are created to experience God personally. Personally. There's a connection between God and man that must be carried through as we look at the establishment and the birth of the church next week. This personal relationship. And then the third and final principle is that we are created to be an exclusive representation of the Father. An exclusive representation. We're the only ones in creation that are created to represent who God is. You see, he put into, into motion these things and illuminated so that it can be experienced. And then he created man. And, and whatever's going to happen in this relationship, this partnership between God and his creation that he created in his own image is going to be for his purposes. Exclusively. I wish I could stop right there and preach another sermon right now. It's just, we don't have the time. You understand that it's our nature. Sin comes into the picture, and we're all born with fallen sin nature. And sin comes into the picture and draws us against the will of God, in rebellion to God. What does that mean? To live life for our own purposes. That's the essence of sin nature. To live our lives for ourselves. For what we determine and what we want. So initially, God sets up this whole entire plan so that creation, and man specifically, can be the representatives, the exclusive representatives. Now, interesting to note this. He wasn't done. According to the word, we're going to skip over to chapter 2 and verse 22. According to the word, in order for man to do what he created him to do, Man first needed to be completed. It was God's plan. It was God's desire and design to complete man. He says, man looks around and sees in the other parts of creation, they all have helpers. But in verse 20, it said, Adam noticed that there was not a helper comparable to him. A helper. Interesting word there. Verse 21 then says, And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Verse 22. Then the rib which the Lord had taken from the man, he made into woman, and he brought her to the man. See? So there wasn't a helper suitable for the man yet. 
So God said, this is not good. What I will do, according to his plan, is to create a helper suitable for man. And he creates this helper out of the very rib, out of the very side of man, and then presents it back to man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So in creation, as God is establishing and unfolding his sovereign plan in this unique place that we have as humans, God decided, determined, that man needed to be helped and completed by becoming one complete flesh, taking out of the man part, creating, forming a woman, presenting that back to the man so that they can become one flesh. By the way, we'd sit here and talk about the sanctity of marriage all day long. One man, one woman, according to God's sovereign creation. He's the author of creation, and only God has the right to determine the nature of creation. Marriage is only between a man and a woman. That's what God unfolds. But we notice, and we see here, this inseparable, again, intimacy between Adam, the man, and his bride, his wife, the woman. And this intimacy is also connected to their purpose, what God wants for them to do. Write this down. The bride was built by God from the side of the Son to be presented back to the Son. You got that? This is, this is, a, this is a pattern. The bride was built by God from the side of man, to be presented back to man. you agree with me that that was God's plan and purpose? Right? That wasn't an accident. God didn't wake up one day and said, man is just knuckle-headed. He's just not going to make it on his own. Although that probably had some truth to it, especially with some of us. We see that. I'm lost without my wife. How about you guys? Yeah. All right, that I'm lost without my wife? All right. Just, just remember, I have the microphone, guys, and I, I saw who you were. All right, so God created this in this wonderful intimacy, but I want you to see the pattern. As he does this, look at verse 22. I want to call your attention to one word. We're going to come back to it in just a second. He said, Then the rib which was the Lord ha- God had taken from the man, he made. Notice, notice in my statement, I said God built the, the, the wife, the bride. Because this word made, bana in the Hebrew, actually means to build something. It's not the word that is in creation where he created something out of nothing. It's the word where he built something out of something. He took the rib that it was already created, that already existed, and he built woman to be able to present back to man so that they would be this intimate, one flesh connection to be able to accurately and intimately Reflect the glory of God. We've got to remember, that's how this whole thing started out. That's what the purpose was. Now, over in the New Testament, if you'll turn to all the way back to Ephesians chapter 5, all the way in the New Testament, we begin to see Jesus doing what he has done so many times, unfolding for us a principle that has its roots back in the original context. 
Jesus begins to talk about, the New Testament begins to talk about this church, but it does so in terms of the original context, the origin of the church, and watch the picture as it unfolds. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. That's a sermon for another day, ladies, but it's coming. Husbands, love your wives. How? Just as Christ loved the church. Paul inspired the Word of God creates an analogy between husband and wife and Jesus and the church. Do you see that? Please, with your own eyes, look into the words of your Bible and make sure that you see that. Love your wives as Christ loved the church. And then in verse 26, it goes on to say, that, in other words, so that, he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word. Verse 27, that he might present her to himself a glorious church. And by the way, there's this interplay back and forth between man and woman, husband and wife, and Jesus Christ and the bride, the church, right? You see it? All the way through Ephesians chapter 5, there's applications both ways, but, but he clears it up right there in verse 32. If there's any question, any confusion, this is a great mystery, but he says, I speak concerning Christ and the I speak concerning Christ and the church. You see the, you see the picture? Oh, this is good. Watch this. The word says, Husband, love your wives as Christ loved the church and washed her in the water of the word to present her to himself a glorious church without spot. Let's see. Let's see. According to the original story, the picture that unfolded, man was created out of the side of man came woman that God created to be presented back to him. Let's see if that plays out in the New Testament. Was there anything ever when the church, the bride of Christ was being built by God, in the church's original existence that came out of the side of the second Adam, of the last Adam, of Jesus. Let's see, was there anything that ever came out of the side of Jesus? I remember in John chapter 19 that it says that when he died on the cross, the very act, the very sacrifice that was necessary for the birth of the church to happen, the redemption, the restoration, they pierced his side, and out of his side, the Bible records, two things flowed. Blood and water. Blood is necessary for the forgiveness of sins, that mankind can be restored under proper relationship with God. Now, you see the bride being formed? The bride is born in the blood, under the blood, the redemption, the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. The church is created based on those who have been redeemed, who have accepted by faith, Jesus Christ's death and atonement through the blood. So out of his side came the birth of the church, but then also out of his side came the water. And according to Ephesians 5, what it just said right here, verse 26, that he might sanctify and cleanse her, who? His bride, with the washing of the water by the word. Look at that. The very graphically, in symbolic form, in typology, 
out of the bridegroom, the Son of God, comes the blood that forms the church, that creates the existence of the church, that makes the church possible, but also comes with this continual ongoing water that's the washing of the Word of God. Here's what it's showing. The existence of the church was created only by the blood of Christ and with an ongoing washing of the water of the Word so that she would be clean. God created the bride of Christ, built the bride of Christ from the side of the Son to be presented back to the Son. Am I the only one that sees that? I'm just, I don't know, I'm just not sure. When I saw that in the Word, I was like, whoa! That's awesome! Why is it awesome? Because it confirms and solidifies and and affirms for us that our existence as the church had a purpose, had an origin, all the way back when God wanted to create creation under the illumination that He created so that He alone can show His glory. I'm telling you, folks, The origin of the church is this. The church has been created by God to be one flesh abiding in Christ to give glory back to the Father. That is the only purpose of the church. So when a church becomes something outside of that or in addition to that or separate from that, we know it might be something, it might be a gathering, you might even call it a church, there might be church on the sign out front, but it is not following through with its original origin, the biblical church, which started to glorify God. We see that in the pattern, and Jesus picks up on this in Matthew chapter 16 in his own ministry when he talks about the church. You remember all the way back in uh, Genesis 2, verse 22, I had you note a word that God created, built Eve out of Adam's rib. And we said that word means to build with something, making something else. Jesus is speaking to Peter in Matthew 16. Remember when he says, "Uh, who do they say I am? And Peter says, who everybody says Jesus really is. And then in verse 15, and he said to them, but, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered and said, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. That is, you're the Redeemer, the one sent for redemption, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you, that you are Peter, and on this rock I will, look at the word, build. I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Well, you know, there's a lot to be said right there, and before we take our 8, 9, 10, 12, 16 week look at what the church really is, let's start here. Jesus makes very clear the church is created by him. He builds it. The Son of God builds the church. I, he said, make no mistake, it's not, it's not, even, it's not even being implemented yet. The church hasn't really even been born yet. It's the precursor to the church. And he's telling them, I will build my church. I will build it. Jesus, he did not say, I'll build it only while I'm alive, and then it's your responsibility to build it. 
I read nothing in the scriptures. Nothing. And I've searched. I invite you to do the same. It is never called upon man to be the one to build his church. It's not in there. He doesn't say, well, you build it. Well, you figure it out. Use your ingenuity. Use your own experiences. Use your tradition. Use your denomination. It never says that. It says Jesus exclusively owns the right. Determine the right to build his church. It says nothing in the scriptures about Bud's church. Believe me, I've looked. Sometimes I think, well, it would be easier that way if it was for me. If I had the right to determine what was the church and what wasn't. And you laugh at that because you think, well, if it was Bud's church, it would be a funky looking church. And you're right. But I also read nothing about it in there being your church. The body itself, the bride, does not have the right to determine her own nature. Jesus said, I will build. And he calls it my church. Why is church such a big deal? And I know you, you've probably talked to people too. And maybe this is you. You're listening on the radio. Or you're here this morning. You think, you know, I've, I've always thought, you know, I can really just have a relationship with God on my own. It's not really essential or critical to go to church or be part of a church. I can trust Jesus Christ by reading the Bible myself. I can love him and serve him on my own. And I really don't need to be part of that thing called the church. And it might sound right and maybe sound good in independent Western thinking, but you need to understand this. I don't know what church you would be talking about, but the church of the Bible that God created, he says, it's my church, my bride. And I don't know about you, but there are few things in this life that I value more. I'm a, there are no things in this life that I value more than my bride. How significant, how precious, how important, how central is the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, to the one who created it and called us my church. Jesus' church. And so there are two distinct differences as church is being built. It's either being built by man or it's being built by Jesus. Let's take a look at the two. The man-built church versus the Jesus-built church. Let's look first at the church that man builds. And there's lots of characteristics, but I want to show you two primary areas of concern that we need to look out for. The, the, the church that man builds will be based on two things. I'll give them to you up front, and then we'll look at them. The first one is compromise. Man will always build his own church based on compromise. And the second one, tradition. Tradition. Now, I know some of you... Hey, wait a minute. Tradition is important. Just wait till we get there, okay? Compromise. First of all, 2 Timothy chapter 4, 2 Timothy chapter 4 shows us the danger, the instruction to warn against compromise for the church. 2 Timothy 4, when you get there, say amen. Okay, that means you need more. How can wait? I'd rather you get there. I'll wait. It's okay, church. When you get there, say amen. Amen. Okay, more people get in there. Good. Verse 1, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing 
and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching, the word says. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. The word talks about a day, and I'll just, you know, hang it out there, I guess, and be vulnerable with you and tell you, I believe with all my heart, we live in the day that he was talking about. We live in that day. This is more so dangerous and relevant to the church that Jesus is building than I think at any other time that I've studied in the history of the church. There have been times where the church has been way wrong, but it's looked way wrong. There have been few times where the church has been way wrong, but it still looks right. Because the man-built church will oftentimes look from the outside like the Jesus-built church. It can, be, it can have growth. And it can, it can use the Bible. And it can have programs that talk about reaching people and, and helping people and serving people. And it can do all that under compromise. Let me tell you where it starts. Compromise starts when God's people would rather hear what they want to hear rather than what the Word of God says. Ooh. Ooh. Compromise always starts when God's people... See, compromise is something for God's people, not the world. When God's people would rather hear what they want to hear rather than what God's Word says. And so when people begin, you know, I mean, hey, I'd rather sometimes the word just left me alone too. I'd rather that what I hear and what tells me direction for my life is something that is comfortable. I'd rather hear that what determines my schedule and my agenda, and let me just hang it all out there since I'm there, my retirement, I'd rather it have to do with what I have always planned what I've always thought, what's comfortable, what's convenient, what's popular. But the Word of God comes in direct contrast and shows me that I don't have the right to live my life for myself. I don't have the right to determine my own career field and my own agenda and schedule and my own financial priorities. Hey, is, am I in the right room? I don't have the right to determine my own plans for retirement. Just talked to a guy this morning. He said, thought we were going to go retire and do this. And he said, God had something different planned for us. And they're involved in ministry. And I thought, how, what an awesome, relevant picture of exactly what we're looking at today. That's what he wants the church to be. The church is to be all consumed by the purposes of God. And that's found in the Word of God. So the word sometimes comes. He said, listen, this is what you're going to have. To, by the way, he's talking to Timothy, the church leader. So he, he would be speaking like to the pastor, how to lead the church. What's important if you want to be the Jesus building your, the church? And he says, preach the word. What's your church growth plan, Pastor Bud? Preach the word. What's your plan to help us become better organized as a church? Preach the word. 
I have no idea how to organize the church. And anybody that would stand and tell you they have all kinds of ideas and all kinds of plans, be very cautious and careful. All I know to do is to keep reading, listening to the word, and see what is Jesus doing. Because listen, he's the one building the church. It says preach the word in season and out, when it's popular, when it's not popular. That's like, for me, that was, when you come preaching in view of a call, that's popular, it's in season. But when you've been there three months and they're getting tired of you, that's out of season. Keep preaching the word. Rebuke. That carries with it the idea of of putting it back on the correct course. See, the church is always leaning away because we're filled with people. We're going to see that next week, by the way. The church is people. So the church, the people, are always leaning away because we follow the desires of our own heart. Even though we've been washed in the blood and restored, we still need the constant washing of the water of the Word to correct our thinking, to correct our tendencies, to set our course straight. Oh, that's that's the prevention for for, uh, compromise right here, folks. Exhort encourage lift up from the word of god i just let me just take a quick poll just i love you guys church i'm i'm not here to bash on anyone i don't get too intense sometimes so let me just lighten up and soften and hold your hand a little bit i love you church and i'm here to serve and here to lead you and i'm not going to ask you to do anything that isn't from the word of god that i'm not willing to do I'm not going to make some crazy changes based on my own experiences and my own idea. All I'm saying is, what can we do, church, to reground ourselves, to reset our thinking and expectation to say, what I want for my church, what I'm looking for, what I'm seeking, what I want to be part of, has to be what the Word of God illuminates. Under the purpose that God wants to use this bride, this church, in intimate relationship with Jesus to reveal the glory of the Father. That, that If you really think church is that, it'll change your priorities, how you live your life, what you're committed to, what you do. And I, I just want to ask you, quick evaluation, self-evaluation. Is there compromise in your life? Is there compromise in your expectation? Are we allowing compromise in our church? Do we do things and allow things in our church because it's the way somebody wanted to do it? Because it met some need that didn't necessarily come, or maybe even in contrast to what God's Word says. And we're not perfect, folks. This is a great church, a wonderful church. But I'm sure if we spend some time praying and evaluating and searching, we're going to find some areas of compromise within our midst. Where it was easier to take the comfortable route, the convenient route, the flesh, self-satisfying, satisfying route. Man-built church will always be based on compromise. Compromise will determine the direction of the church. Number two, man-built church will always be based on the traditions of man. Turn to Matthew chapter 15. We'll talk just for a minute about tradition. Tradition has been one of those touchy subjects recently. Um, there's a lot of young pastors and young church leaders coming after the older generation and ridiculing them and criticizing them for being dead churches 
only interested in tradition. And I'm just here to tell you that's not always true. It's not always true. Sometimes a church has tradition in order to help it stay on the right track. Sometimes churches establish tradition to help pass on a godly heritage. Tradition can help us connect to what God has done previously in our midst, which the Bible teaches us to do, by the way. Tradition can help remind us, can help put into our everyday life and our everyday actions the things that we know we're supposed to do ahead of time. But tradition can also get to the point where it crosses the line and becomes very dangerous, and we start to use it when we transfer over into ourselves, man, building the church rather than letting Jesus. And Jesus dealt with the very same issue. You're in Matthew chapter 15. Look at verse 3. He answered and said to them, by the way, this is after the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, asked why his disciples were not adhering to tradition. Verse 3, he answered and said to them, Why do you also transgress the commandment of God because of your tradition? Think about what he's saying there. <laughs> Pretty bold, right, to the Pharisees. Why do you transgress? The word there means to nullify, to reduce in value drastically. Listen to what he's saying. Why do you nullify the commandments of God? Why do you reduce in value drastically the ways of God for your own ways? It's possible that our ways and what what we adhere to and hold on to and say are very important because we're comfortable, because it's what we've always done, whatever the reason, it's possible that those things might actually begin to lead us to transgress, to reduce the value of God's ways. That's what he says here. In fact, you just turn over, dialogue continues, and I don't want to get into the specific issue of honoring father and mother, but he points out to them an area where they're being hypocritical. In verse 7, he says, hypocrites, well, did Isaiah prophesy about you? And he quotes Isaiah 29. These people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips. I wonder if this is church in America today but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Guys, let's just, can we just admit that we're all faulted and have failures in our life. Can we admit that this morning? I'm going to make sure that I'm in the right audience. Because if, if you don't admit that, you'll never like what I'm going to say next. Okay? So we all agree. I mean, guys, we are prone to wander. Our own hearts. Can, 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 you, can you just buy into this for a minute? Our own hearts constantly will lead us astray. Our own thinking is incapable of the thoughts of God. Even as Christians, even as the church, we still need daily God to reveal himself to us because we, we just don't have it. Until we're in the glorified body, we never will. 
So we have this tendency to take the things which we think are important and to create such an emphasis on them that to violate them becomes as if you're violating God's word. And according to what Jesus says, that diminishes the actual things that God's word says. You cannot mix. You cannot, no matter how much you want to, no matter how much it might help the church or make you more comfortable, you cannot mix the ways of man and the ways of God. You know the classic example we've used over the years, and, and I'll just touch on it because it's so true, is style. <laughs> this is interesting. He said, and in vain they worship me. That indicates this is what Isaiah saw. They were worshiping. Right? They were doing something they called and they thought was worship. But what God saw was, it's in vain. It's no. It's not bringing glory to God. And we, we're so concerned about the style of worship service and the, and, and the timing of everything and the programs that we have. And, and, and don't get me wrong, we need to do everything well. But you know, I remember a day when because we brought drums in the worship center or because we brought a, a more contemporary style of music, that there were some friends of mine who actually acted as if we were violating the commandments of God. And I'm, listen, I'm not prideful. When I first heard that, I said, oh man, I went to my Bible and said, where? Oh my gosh, I don't want to be in violation of what God's word says. And I looked, 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 and guess what? It's not there. It ain't there. You know what's funny? Now, these are friends of mine I'm talking about, Okay. This is my family. There was a day, and when we took the organ out of our church one day, I just about lost my job. There might have been a similar experience here. I don't know. You know what happens, okay? Because it's part of our tradition. But do you know that there was a day when somebody brought the organ inside the church, that there was an entire generation that said the very same thing about the organ? Do you know that? You can't bring that in here. You can't worship God according to melodies and choruses. We only do it a cappella. That's what the Bible does. Wow. You know, when you read back in the Psalms, this ought to help Matt out a whole lot. When you read back in the Psalms, if you and I were to experience the kind of worship that David allowed outside the temple, Solomon built right into worship of the temple, Solomon learned it from his dad. Hey, it's the most hideous, awful sound you've ever heard. I'm not kidding. Symbols clashing randomly. All kinds of chaos in the musical melody. But to them in that context, in that generation, it was a form of expression that allowed them to keep their hearts before God. Not always, because we read in Isaiah, it didn't. But it didn't have anything to do with the style of music. It had to do with the hearts of the people. And that's what Isaiah was saying. Now, I'm not not saying, you know, here to bash on any style of worship or promote any style of music. I'm saying, if we're not careful, we allow the things that we have become used to, our traditions, to cause us to transgress the heart of God. Let me say it this way. 
the moment your tradition hinders your dependence on Jesus, it has outlived its purpose. And guys, I just want to say, when we talk about this change principle here, <clears throat> I just want to say, that's the danger of any tradition. And I'm talking about the ones that we are setting even right now. The danger of tradition is this, watch it. Tradition becomes something that we can do over and over and over again. And while at first it was very helpful, it can also become something that's very automated, almost mindless. And if we're not careful, doing what the tradition says can be promoted as the ultimate will. If you do what tradition is, then you've done everything, church. If you're part of the tradition, you embrace the tradition, you're going to Sunday school, you sing on the worship team, you do this, and we have this going, and you're doing all these things that tradition dictates, then you're a good church member and you're growing, but you might be transgressing the commandments of God. Because it's all automated. It's all what I can do in my flesh and my own ability. And what worship is, absolute, complete, don't miss this, dependence upon God. Jesus wants his church <clears throat> day after day after day to be absolute, complete, total dependent upon him. That's the church that Jesus is building. So, so we make this transition and we looked at the church that man built, but what does the, the church that Jesus builds look like? And there's just two very simple things. Number one, it's based on his purposes. His purposes. Um, yeah, let's turn to John chapter 17. Hey, is it okay if I go just a little bit long this morning? Just a little bit? Okay. I'm, I'm asking permission. So, at least some gave me the permission. So, just a little. I won't, I won't go long, but, but we're setting up a really important series here. Look at what Jesus is speaking to the Father. In John you with me, John 17? You there? Okay, John 17. And look, at he's sharing with the Father about his church, his disciples, his followers. And in verse 14 said, I've given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. The world's going to hate the church. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. So we don't hide ourselves, we don't exclude ourselves, we don't go up on a mountain and create a monastery and, and remove ourselves from the world. Verse 16, they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. Jesus builds his church. The bride is created out of his side, his nature. Watch it. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Now look at verse 18. It says to the Father, as you sent me into the world, I have also sent them into the world. Hey, if you want to know what the church is supposed to be doing, the church that Jesus builds, there it is right there. He said, he's telling this to the Father. Father, I have sent my bride, my church, as I build it, into the world in the very same way, according to the very same premise, the very same purposes that you sent me into the world. And we know that Jesus came into the world primarily to fill three different offices. He came as prophet, priest, and king. And he says, just like, Father, you sent me to be a prophet, what does a prophet do? A prophet brings God to man. He represents the word of God, the ways of God, the purity of God before man to display what God wants. Jesus said, I came to do that, to do the will of the Father. And just as I came, watch this, 
Church, Crosspoint Community Church, I am sending you also to be the ones, here's what you're doing, here's your purpose, represent God the Father before man. So the church purity, the church ways ought to look like God. They ought to come from God. When the world looks at this church, they should see the character of God, not the ways of man. He also came as priest. What does a priest do? Well, priest represents man before God. See, the prophet is representing God before man. The priestly role represents man before God. Think of the high priest. He goes into the Holy of Holies representing the need of man to be reconciled to, to be forgiven, to get to God. That's what Jesus' ministry was all about too, right? I came to seek and save that which is lost. For this purpose, I came to die, to give. Why? Jesus' purpose wasn't to build something unto himself, but it was to build a pathway from wherever man is to wherever God is. And for Jesus, he's the only one that can do it. It was death on the cross. For us, it was Jesus' death on the cross. For those in the world around us, our neighbors, it's still Jesus' death on the cross. Folks, that ought to be so central to our ministry. If we make it through any of our programs and anything we do without presenting Jesus crucified for the redemption of man, we're missing our purpose. He came as prophet. He came as priest. But he also came as king. And we know according to the word that his kingly role is still yet to come. There's a coming kingdom. But Jesus prepared for that kingdom with all of his earthly ministry. And today, the church is to be washed in the water of the word so that the bride, one day at the marriage supper of the Lamb, will be presented chaste, pure, without spot, wrinkle, or blemish. To the bridegroom. That's called preparing for the return of Christ. Did you know that preparing for Christ's return for the kingdom that he will establish involves obedience and faith and forgiveness and repentance and everything that the word brings as cleansing in our life? That's how we prepare ourselves for his return. That's the kingly ministry. Looking forward to the anchor of our faith, the hope that's still coming. That's what the church, Jesus said it. Listen, how often do we get to sit on the sidelines and listen to an intimate conversation between Jesus the Son and Jesus the Father and hear what he has to say about the church? Here it is. Just as you sent me, exactly as you sent me, I am sending them. His purposes. That's the Jesus-built church. His purposes. And finally, it's built on His revelation. I'm going to close here so we're almost done. His revelation. Proverbs 29. I shared this verse with you before. The reason why is because it's very central to my leadership as a pastor. Lots of verses that, that are meaningful to me. Listen to Proverbs 29, 18. 
says, where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint. But happy is he who keeps the law. That word for revelation, some translations, you, you might have vision. Where there's no vision, the people cast off restraint. And I'm, let's be very careful. There are many, many resources promoting themselves to the church to help the church today that talk about vision. And if we're not careful, if we're not biblical, if we're not doctrinal about what we embrace, we might fall into the, the rut of thinking, well, all we need is a vision, and a vision will keep us on track. And that's what that verse is really saying. No, it's not. Because a vision can come from past success. A vision can come from a program, education. A vision can come from a personality, a perspective. Hey, a vision can come from heartburn. Eat the wrong mushroom, you get some visions. Is that going to lead us in the right direction as the church? No. It's revelation. And the term for vision there is divinely inspired revelation. See it? Hey, listen, we're going to close just a minute. Don't check out on me yet. Don't do it. Some of you have been putting up, packing up, getting, no, don't. Just one more thing. Hold on. Watch this. Where there is no ongoing, direct, current, divine revelation from God, the people have no direction. The people cannot become a unified body of Christ moving effectively, accomplishing His purposes, doing what He wants us to do, if they don't receive their direction from ongoing, watch it, just right from the heart of God, right from the halls of heaven, revealing what He wants and who He is. You see, see, my job is not to create a vision for the church. My job is to lead you as a body of Christ to go to the throne of God and see what is it that he's revealing to us. That becomes our vision. That becomes our directive. You know, there are certain things in church that never change. They must never change. The doctrine, the cross, the gospel, the word of God. Many things that must never, ever, ever change. But there are also, on the same token, things that must always change. Context. Do you realize, you say there's only one way the church should ever do church. Do you realize if we did it the way the first church did it, what it would look like today? I mean, we have the same principles, the same things that never change. But what if everything never changed? We'd be hiding in the catacombs. We'd be having church worship service underground in rock caves because they had to go there to hide. And we would organize our entire ministry around running from the authorities. And a plague that presented itself. Well, times have changed. Is the church expected to change also so that it can become effective in that generation? Do like this. Yes! How do we know then which are the things that are never supposed to change based on those things which are supposed to change that we're supposed to do and how are we supposed to change them by the way today? 
revelation. Because God knows this church. And in 2016, God has very specific direction, very specific elements of his character and his mission that he wants to reveal to Cross Point Community Church that none of us know yet. And if we don't listen, and if we don't depend upon God, we will start the wrong ministries, we will hold the wrong things as tradition, and we will cease to accomplish the mission of God. We will cast off restraint and go in 50 different directions and never get anything done right. I submit to you, church, that Jesus Christ himself, the bridegroom, has his eyes on Cross Point Community Church. And if in our ministry teams and if our leaders and if our people will go to him and spend time in the word and pray and let him speak and let him reveal, I submit to you that God has things to do here next year that no man has experienced, no eye has seen, no ear has heard. Because you can't manufacture it on your own. Jesus wants to build his church right here. Right here. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning, your church. And some of us have been washed in the blood and have been restored in relationship to you through the cross. Yet there may be some here, Lord, that have not yet and they do not know you They have not experienced your forgiveness through the death of Jesus, your son. And right now, if that's your heart, if if you come to this place and you don't know that you've trusted Christ's death, burial, and resurrection for your sin, I want to invite you to do that right now. Let your relationship with the Lord once and for all be restored and renewed by the forgiveness of your sins through Jesus' blood. How do I do that? Just pray with me right now. Pray a prayer very similar to this. Father, I know that I'm a sinner. And I'm guilty. My sin prevents me from getting to you. But I I believe your son died on the cross and shed his own blood for my sins. And I accept by faith your offer to be forgiven. And invite you to be my Lord and Savior, Jesus. Come into my life. There are those who have been washed under the blood. And this morning as the church, we need an ongoing, renewing, washing of the water of the word. And God's word has spoken to you this morning. May I give you an opportunity to respond. Just to, I wonder how many people this morning as you're praying, would just come to the altar, stand, sit, kneel, whatever, gather as families, marriages, single people. Just come to the altar and just say, Lord, I am your church and I want to be the church you build. Whatever that takes, I surrender my agenda and my plan, and I want to know what you have for us. Is there anybody here that would join me at the altar with that kind of prayer? Would you come? Just come. Your own prayer. God, I need to be your church. I don't have a backup plan. Lord, would you show us? Would you reveal your heart, your mind?
Wash us in the water of your word. We worship you. Thank you, Jesus, for loving us enough to allow us to be part of your plan and your purpose for dying for us that we could be restored. And Thank you for caring enough that even today we're washed again by the water of your word that you want to present us pure and holy. That we would really, truly, accurately represent the glory of the Father. And we need you to do that. We praise you. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.